Off top, it's a new show, but it's the same show. It's a double show. It all makes sense. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, Charlie. We're about to talk to Van Lathan Jr. pretty soon. It's a really fun episode um, about a lot of college football. And I played college football. Mm. And I didn't one, know that. Yeah, you knew. Uh, the one thing that I liked about college football, or I remember this weekend when we saw teams making, having big wins in their fan base. Like we saw it at Colorado. We saw it at Duke. I just remember doing that in Maryland yeah. and how fun it was. There's Having a big win is great. In the NFL, you get a big win. It's real nice, but you end up going home and chilling out and then going to work the next day. There might be some articles written or some stuff on TV that's pretty fun. High school, it's pretty nice. You're the man in your little high school, but no one else cares. But the thing about college football wins, there's nothing better than that next day of school putting on your team issue clothes and your slides yep. and putting on your empty backpack. People say like, hey, the, the players don't have to go to class. You want to go to class the day after you had a big win. Oh, it's the best. Walk as slowly as possible and get dapped up as many times as possible on oh, the way to class. It is great. And no one, it's also the best day for walk-ons. <laughs> it's, that is the best day of the year for walk-ons because they have the team issue with the yep. number on it and nobody, none of the double numbers. Yeah. <laughs> you might get a, a star's number. You might get confused. None of the, uh, the students like know anybody except for like the quarterback. Yeah. Like most of the students don't know. So the walk-ons walking around campus, limping like they played in a game, fake ice packs, trying to get them a date. But you got to be careful though. That's, that's also the day where. You have to. You got to track down all your sweatshirts. You got to track down all your sweatshirts. You can't have people out there that you hung out with, but you don't want to know that you hung out with them. That's the day to day wear their sweatshirts too. It's fun. You have to be very deliberate with the gear, the team issue gear that you hand out after the Saturday night after the game. Yeah, you got to be vigilant. There's nothing more embarrassing than uh, going to class in your team issue and then your friend kind of friend from a couple weeks ago got on your Gator Bowl, Gator Bowl sweatshirt. It's like, what are you doing? With the number on it? I didn't know you got that. You know, I, this is a small tangent. I saw someone this weekend walking around in a Florida vs. Maryland 2002 Orange Bowl t-shirt. And I immediately complimented him on his shirt and he was like, yeah, whatever. And I was he might have been one of your teammates. Yeah, I mean, Genuinely. Who, who else would have had an Orange Bowl t-shirt? Florida fan. Yeah, no. They, they were embarrassed by being in that game. They didn't deserve being in that game. They beat the dog shit out of us. It was a, a rough go of it. That was my freshman year. But that was also my first start against Clemson. We won an 8 o'clock game, um, and it gave us the ACC title. And walking directly out of the locker room into uh, a burgeoning riot as an 18-year-old who just got player of the game was really fun. And I didn't drink back then, so uh, I still remember everything that mm. happened that night. And I'm glad. I do not want to forget it. You seen he got game? I have. Yeah. <laughs> College visit scene. Yep. After, after the game, I... My parents were there, so I gave them hugs. I was like, hey, love you guys. Thanks for coming. Support. It was great. Y'all need to go. Y'all need to go because it's going to get bad out here tonight. You got to track down a lot of number six team <laughs> issue gear. No, I was vigilant about where my team, if you want to, oh, it's cold outside. I got to go. Okay, you can have a sweatshirt. No, not that one. You can have that sweatshirt. 
<laughs> you can't have nothing with my number on it. All right, Charlie, we need to get to this Van Lathan interview before I say something that'll get me in more trouble than I'm already in. A lot of thorns this week. Love you, Ashley. All right, welcoming our first guest, Academy Award winner, host of one of my favorite podcasts, Higher Learning with Rachel Lindsay, my man, uh, LSU fan also, mm. which we'll get to eventually. Tough, tough times. Tough times. <laughs> my right. man, Van Lathan. What's up, brother? What's going on, man? How you doing? Great to be here with y'all, man. Thanks for coming. Um, you got a weird fact for us or any facts for us? I do. Uh, I was thinking about this, and I, I, I didn't want to look up a weird fact. Okay. I wanted to get something out of the recesses of my mind. And what people don't know, they might not know this, but a warp engine is the theoretically possible, like a warp drive wow. from Star Wars and from Star Trek. <laughs> in, in 1994, a theoretical physicist, a uh, Mexican theoretical physicist named Miguel Alcubierre um, wrote a paper on something called the Miguel, the, the Alcubierre engine. Shout which is uh, is an engine that he built theoretically that could take a craft to warp speeds. And over the last couple of decades, people have done the math on it, and the math actually checks out. It's about whether or not we can build it. So like a lot of things in life, it's not a physics question, it's an engineering question. <laughs> so so you guys there do that are, what you would. There are um, sometimes when you're like watching TV or listening to shows or you hear someone else talking, you're like, that's my kind of guy. And you don't know for sure, <laughs> but you got a feeling. <laughs> Oh, I know for sure. I've been a fan of Van for a while. It's the first time we've been able to work together. But that fact, Charlie knows. Oh, yeah. He knows. So we're get to my heart with some weird physics. That's right. All right, Charlie, take us away, away from the fun and to the craziness. Well, this is sort of an engineering question as well. This is how you engineer a college football program. And I, was gonna, I, w I wanted to start with LSU because Van's here, but we can't. We have to start with the biggest story in college football, and that is Deion Sanders' program at Colorado, which... We kind of expect it to suck until they didn't suck this weekend. They beat TCU 45-42. And the first question I want to ask you guys, did you find Deion Sanders annoying or charming? <laughs> I want to hear what Van has on this first. Oh, <laughs> uh, both. Yeah. <laughs> um, both. Look, it, Deion Sanders has never been somebody that has been fuzzy and cuddly. He's never been that. He's always been threatening to whatever perceived establishment there was. That's what he's always been. I think the thing that has endeared a lot of people to Deion Sanders over the last uh, 15, 20 years is that the leader of men, maker of boys into men narrative uh, part of his life has been so well received. So we've seen Prime, someone who was about going out there and getting it about self. A lot of people said sometimes, even though he always made his teams better, we've seen him pour into other people. We've seen him pour into young men and give a lot of his experiences to them. And that's, that's helped his overall perception, but he's still Deion Sanders, man. He's still keeping receipts. <laughs> he still wants to dominate and he's not changing. So while it was a little bit like, if you worked in any media space, a little annoying to watch him ask people whose job it is to write on the team, whether or not they believed in the team. 
it's still prime. It's the same prime I grew up on, right. man. Yeah, I think so. That's the funny thing is he doesn't feel anti-establishment to me anymore. He kind of feels like he is like cosplaying as anti-establishment because a lot of the establishment loves him. And I have to admit that maybe it's the old man in me. I've never found Deion Sanders, the player, annoying. Like, I loved when Deion was, like, the anti-establishment guy. I have to be honest, the calling out of the media, maybe it's because I'm here, I was like, that's kind of corny. I listened to Jason Goff's podcast, and he talked a bit about how being petty is now, like, considered cool. And Deion is essentially being petty. And then I had to check myself and was like, all right, you know what? Deion's doing the same thing that every other college football coach is doing. He's just doing it in his way like they all walk in to new organizations and send a bunch of the old scholarship players packing they all lie to our face they all leave institutions that they promise to be at forever and go somewhere else for a bigger buck so like he's doing it and he's doing it in his way and at least I feel like he's allowing the light that shines on him it's making the light on players like Travis Hunter a lot brighter because that's the real story of the weekend that man not supposed to play 300 snaps and be the best player on both sides of the ball. That, that's mind-blowing to me. It is. I think there are a couple of things with Dion that are interesting. One is the way that Dion did it. I think the criticisms there from some people are pretty valid. Mm-hmm. Because, look, it's one thing to start at, I don't know, uh, some Appalachian State. Uh, F- Appalachian State, which is a great program. I was trying to think of some place smaller than that, like wherever. I think like Chip Kelly started at some really school, one AA school. And to go there and to use that school's uh, competition and that school's schedule and that school's cachet or whatever to build yourself up. It's a different thing for a lot of people to do it at Jackson State because there are so many more issues at Jackson State, a land-grant university, that's an HBCU that's you know, a part of a large network of universities that are criminally and purposefully underfunded. To say that you have a specific goal ordained by God <laughs> that you have to complete there when it's a football thing rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and I understand that. I understand that even though he did the thing that coaches always do, that a lot of times, particularly in black audiences or black and black culture, when you say you're dedicated to us, like we want you to like see it through. I also understand that he wasn't going to be there forever, that he always said he wanted a power five job and he was going to take the power five job when it came. So Deion Sanders is at a power five school. I wish him the best, whatever. Now to the Travis Hunter situation, I can't remember seeing anything like Never. that. And I watched a lot of college football. Like it, there are guys out there that you can point to that were, uh, that same way, you're Charles Woodson, Gamble mm-hmm. from Ohio State, a couple of different people. But like every down, like Sorry. every single down and to take over a game like that, that was phenomenal. And I'm actually happy that Travis Hunter is able to do that on the platform that he's on right now, as opposed to doing it in the SWAC, which I follow a lot because of Southern University, but other people might not be following as yeah, much. You know? that, that's true. And I think that that's one of the, 
credits to Dion is at halftime, he's bigging up Travis Hunter. At the end of the game, he's giving attention to Travis Hunter. Uh, attention that Travis Hunter wouldn't get elsewhere. And playing both ways like that is something that he wouldn't do if he went to like Alabama or LSU mm -hmm. or something like that. I want to go back to the point that you made about using, frankly, the fairest criticism there is of Deion Sanders is using uh, HBCUs as a stepping stone and also selling what you said. Obviously, he sells religion and he sold blackness and he's still kind of trafficking in the blackness, which it's a true thing. Like, it's going to be different when you're a black coach. It's going to be different when you're black anything. And him stepping up and saying, nobody wants to see a black man do this, like, Honestly, I think they don't want to see you do it, <laughs> which is to be honest with you. Like, they don't want to see you do it. And it's not true of everybody. Like, it's a, a large, it felt like on social media, most people were waiting to see what happened. And then once they saw what happened, most people jumped on Dion's side. I didn't feel an avalanche of haters. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DF. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. There are, I mean, look, of course, with him, there are going to be some people that don't like the way that he does. It's always been that way, mm -hmm. right? Dion catch the ball. Like, I remember one time I'm watching him back there. He's back there with Atlanta. I'm like, you guys, man, it was a time you had to be there, man. <laughs> Dion would be back there. He's he's waiting for the punt. He's calling for the punt. He's like, give <laughs> me the ball. Catches the ball, and there's just nothing you can do. It's like he's on the field with middle schoolers, yep. you know? And a lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people don't like the dance, and a lot of people didn't the high step. A lot of people didn't like all of that stuff. So the way that he goes about his thing, he always challenges tradition or decorum so much. And he's doing that being Deion Sanders as a coach right now. He always has challenged that. I think when you say that, like, no one wants to see a black coach do it, you got to watch that just a little bit because while that's not untrue, that also, in a way, depowers certain black coaches that have been doing it for a while. And that's not to say that they're, that people wanted to see them do it. It's to say that, you know, Dion breaking some new ground um, yeah. in college football right now is probably not 
Yeah, factually. I, I completely but agree. Dion That's why Sanders. I said they, they, they don't want to see Dion do it. It's you. And Dion, like, no one transcends race, but he is unique in some ways. What's up, Charlie? Okay, yeah. So this is, I find this fascinating because Dion is like the least counterculture, countercultural icon right now going because he is beloved in a lot of mainstream circles. What I think is interesting is we talked about this before the show is the comparison to Penny Hardaway. Basically bringing in someone who is an iconic player and be like, can you turn around a program? Can you build a program by bringing in these recruits? But the rest of college football, these coaches are really attached to the programs. The Nick Sabans at Alabama, the legendary guys of their program. To me, Dion is already sort of transcending school and conference because if you're a recruit, you see Shador Sanders and, and Travis Hunter, you know Dion might move schools, but wouldn't you want to play for a guy who can put you in that position? Because... Outside of Caleb Williams now, the first Monday of college football season, the two most famous guys in college football are Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders. I mean, I mean, go ahead. I mean, no, you're right. I think the interesting thing to watch is going to be how much college football tradition Deion Sanders is actually uh, comfortable with being a part of. What I mean is... One thing that's not really loved in college football is the hired gun type of coach. Like what they particularly like, you know, is a guy that stays at a place 10, 15 years and then moves on. Right. Um, Now you have to build up to that place a lot of times. But guys like Urban Meyer, guys like Lane Kiffin, these guys are criticized for the amount um, Hugh Freeze to a degree. These guys are criticized for the amount that they bounce around. So if Dion is at Colorado for three or four seasons and he builds Colorado up into a national power, things go off the rails at Florida State or somebody else like LSU calls <laughs> and then he and then he 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 jumps, there'll be a question then comes into whether or not there's Dion Sanders privilege. And I know that sounds weird to say, but whether or not he actually gets away with some things that a traditional college football coach might not get away with because of how beloved he is in culture. He's earned that, but there are some things that he does that a lot of other people might be criticized for that it's hard to criticize him for because we've loved him for so long. I have a a group chat that um, reminds me every now and then that not everything has to be a think piece. And that's what I was reminding myself as I was getting ready to talk about this Deion Sanders thing, because sometimes we can just have fun and sometimes we can just talk about things without it being having to be a think piece. And often with black anything, it becomes a think piece. So I'm going to try to avoid doing that. However, the think piece nature of all of this that I think is interesting is Anybody who questioned, and Dion may not win another game, and they may not be as good as we think they are, and it could go up and down, uh, but it feels like right now that anyone who questioned whether Dion was worth the money they were paying him, because his track record is not that that shows someone who could get that contract. But I feel like if anything's been put to bed, that question has been put to bed because, and this is the think piece part of it, I guess, is... There's nothing more valuable and it feels like in modern life than attention and the ability to attract attention and convey attention. And that's what he's brought Colorado. He brought them an identity prior to Deion Sanders showing up there. You ask people about Colorado, the University of Colorado, they ain't got nothing to say. You ask them now. And I can imagine, I have not seen the numbers, but my guess is they are probably raising money better than they ever have. I'm sure they're selling tickets better than they ever have. I imagine that people are applying to that school 
at higher numbers than they ever have. So the $29, $30 million that they are going to be paying out to Deion Sanders feels like it's already been worth it. I mean, look, so this is why I'll say, yeah, it's certainly worth it. Um, I'm a huge college football fan, gigantic. What, as far as teams? I really only care about LSU, um, which is you know tough right now. But um, I have an unhealthy obsession with Colorado's success. I want them to win so bad. Like it's 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 a mixture of my childhood love for Deion Sanders. It's a mixture of the fact that people are so annoyed with Deion Sanders. I like the fact that he he's polarizing. It's a mixture of an allegiance to black culture, to to it's it's really Deion Sanders culture more than anything, more than it being even black culture or college football culture. It's Deion Sanders culture that I'm rooting for in Colorado. I was ecstatic watching them win, and I haven't even cared about Colorado since Rashawn Salam <laughs> was in the uniform. Since Cordell Stewart Cordell was in the slash, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I haven't even cared about them since then, but I just want to see them win, man. Yeah. And it's I, not I just, just you. I, and that's the thing that I'm saying. It's not just you. I was at uh, the in-law's house yesterday, and my mother-in-law on Saturday, it's halftime of the game. She's not watching the game, but she's just hearing it. And she's like, see, Dion doing it. Like, he matters. He's making this school matter. And, like, she's not a college football fan. She doesn't care. But she knows who Dion Sanders is. And to your point, it's a lot with black people. It's the blackness. And it's also just, like, college football would be so much more entertaining than have a guy like Deion Sanders be the one who yeah. we're interviewing rather than a guy like Dabo yep, Sweeney. That's it. Like, if you're going to throw God in my face, at least do it with some swag, which Dion is limping yeah. around on his eight toes doing that for us. And I have to admit, I appreciate it. And I, along with some other people in the media, was very critical of what he did with the HBCU because he did promise he something different. But what he is doing is same thing other coaches do is a lot of promising and lying what coaches do, but it feels a little bit worse when it's like, but I'm here because we black. When you hold up that fist while you're saying it, we have an expectation yeah. that it's going it, to, we'll, we'll let it slide with the Jesus stuff. We'll let people slide with hypocrisy when it comes to religion, but I guess we're letting Dion slide too. But yeah, I don't know. I can, I can hold like some judgment of him for those decisions and still like kind of be rooting for him to blow up college football because it's fun. It is. Look, I, I went to Southern University. I know what it's like. It's not Florida State. It's a completely different experience of college football and athletics. Like the funniest part of that is when we're playing Jackson State in the um, Southern's playing Jackson State in the um, in the SWAT championship game and. You know, our guy's on the announcement. We's calling the band, and he's like, two, four, six, eight, let's get country like Jackson State. He's like, ah, ha, ha. Y'all got a new coach, man. Y'all, Coach Prime that left y'all. We told him, we told you he ain't sweat. He's like, you about to be big balling. That's, that's how petty we get in the slack at HBCU. They coach had just left them. That's how petty we get. But, there's a there's a dedication to a lifestyle. There's a dedication to a culture that is particular to HBCU sports and football, to SWAC sports and football. And either you are SWAC or you're not SWAC. Deion Sanders might have not been SWAC, 
but he is Deion Sanders, and that's must see. That's must see TV. Always will be. Yeah. All right. I think we'll use that as a transition from one Baton Rouge school to the other, and now we uh-huh. can get to what's been burning. <laughs> on you for a while. LSU was yeah, considered man. one of the best teams in the country up there with Georgia and Alabama. We had high hopes for Jaden Daniels, the quarterback there. High hopes yeah. for Harold Perkins, who inexplicably is playing <laughs> the, the least impactful position on defense. He was an incredibly impactful freshman pass rusher. And somewhat, for some reason, Chip Kelly's like, you know what? Brian Kelly. I'm Chip Kelly, sorry. Missing up, mixing up the overrated Kellys. Emily. For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, some reason, Brian Kelly's like, hey, why don't you go to the least impactful position on the field and play off-ball linebacker? So, Van, I'm he, sorry. He Notre Dame him. He turned him <laughs> into a slow white linebacker. <laughs> I'm sorry, Van, to lead you in with all this. I don't want to lead you with a question. I just want to hear how you feel. I bet. Um, not great. Uh, there's this... Uh, this Southern Louisiana pessimism that always kind of exists mm-hmm. to where it just uh, is a thing. It, there, we have positive tigers and we have nega tigers. That's what we call them. <laughs> and that, 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 that nega yeah. tiger is always an interesting. <laughs> Y'all won a um, lot of national <laughs> championships with some nega tigers. <laughs> exactly. Right. You always listen when they say that, like, oh, get that. Nah, like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, um, and it, 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 with the way that we are, it, in Louisiana, we're always LSU always has to do. It. We always have to see it. We have to see it. Like five and zero, I'll just wait for Alabama. After Alabama, oh, let's see what happens. It's, it's, you know, it, it has to happen. I think we knew that there were some holes on the team, man. We did. We knew that the the secondary just doesn't have any depth and really not a lot of talent. Uh, I think that there are questions about Jaden Daniels' ability to get the ball down the field and really like utilize the wide receiver core. And it just LSU teams of the past that were just guys everywhere, like just athletes, just playing nasty. Even in the Les Miles years, you could never say that the team was soft ever. You could never say that the team was soft, and you could never say that they weren't dudes there. I think the questions that a lot of people are having: number one is obviously how Perkins was used. You know, when you know that go get the quarterback is his game, at least right now. I mean, he's learning a new position. Brian Kelly said that. And then also, like, what really the studs of the team are, like, where they at? We didn't have Mason Smith in this game. Um, We're counting on some of the players last year to take a leap forward. It takes a couple of games to see whether or not that's going to happen. And to have a game with a veteran-laden team like Florida State be the first game on your schedule, it's a lot. Um, And, you know, there's still people who have questions, obviously, about Brian Kelly and his ability to have a team in a big game play are you one of those with, people uh yeah okay. now you have to be. like you like you have to be yeah. like, coming from notre dame all the notre dame fans was like you can have them yep. we get we get swacked out in every big game and when you look at it now shout out to carter bryant the power hour lsu a really bright lsu analytical mind he pointed out that you know we've already been we had a great season last year but we've already been blown out like a bunch of times like we've blown out in this game we're blown out against tennessee we're blown out against georgia these are big games that the team kind of didn't get up for. So it's concerning. And even with the hundred million, the leash for him is not as long as you would think that it would be. <laughs> they'll hit the Penningtons or somebody up and they'll pay that money and move on to the yeah, to the next guy. So it's tough. Did um 
there is, so speaking of those great kind of standout athletes, there it didn't feel like there were any for LSU. I'm sure there's some on that team they didn't stand out in this game, but uh, Jared Verse for um, mm-hmm. Florida State. My God. He was doing things that I expect to see Tigers do. He was cutting Jaden Daniels in half because he was going around NFL-bound offensive tackles like their feet were stuck in the mud. He stood out to me as a special player. But you know who I really wanted to get your opinion on? A guy named Keon Coleman. He had 122 yards and three touchdowns. And I imagine you know where he's from. I do know where he's from. Um, (laughs) You know, here's the first, here's the deal. You know what, let's, you know, I I know where he's from. He he jumped over everyone. He, he, it was like throw him a 50-50 ball and it's really a 90-10 ball. (laughs) It, It, the whole thing was just, it was disgusting to watch it happen. To watch it go down like that. Uh, and have that type of dude duding on dudes that <laughs> he could, he could kind of should kind of be with, um, and for a school like us, who in the past has literally gone up against some of the best wide receivers in the NFL now in the history of the NFL and gotten wins. The school of Patrick Peterson, the school of Tyron Matthew, the school of Derek Stingley, school of Corey Webster, you know, all of these guys, man, guys in the secondary all over the place. And there's just nothing we can do. Making reads, scheming up one-on-ones and just letting him beat us. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it was just, it was tough. And I knew that that would kind of be a thing, but I did think that our offense would be able to compete with them in a way that the shootout game could 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 favor us a little bit. And I'll say this too. Uh, there were times in the game where we were having a lot of success. We should have been up more, right? They adjusted at halftime and came out and bust us in our face and we had no response. That, more than anything, yeah. is so concerning. Of course, Jerry Verse looked good because once they padded their lead a little bit, pin your ears, go get the quarterback. And now our play calling is compromised and all of that stuff. It just was not a good performance from any facet of the LSU offense, defense, special teams, or coaching staff. We muffed another punt, and it you feels, just wonder. It feels like you. It feels like you think they're soft. They are. <sighs> That's something that. Oh, that is the like. Not- but, 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 but wait a second. That doesn't mean that they will be right, soft. But they were in that game. Well. Worth noting. They played, they played, they played, hold on, there's no way to say this, and I hope I'm not, it doesn't seem like I'm missing words. LSU played soft against Florida State. LSU was soft against Florida State. We don't know what the team is going to be in four or five weeks, but in that game, they got punched in their mouth and did not answer. Got thrown around the field and didn't answer. So if something's going to happen, then it needs to happen. But if they play the whole season like they played that game is going to be an embarrassing season, not just on the field, but for the culture of LSU football. Well, they they um they get to take it out on Grambling coming up here real soon. <laughs> the the um true Bayou Classic or the side Bayou Classic <laughs> is coming. <laughs> the true Bayou Classic. <laughs> the um I mean it is a little bit more indicative of American history, but the um 
I, I don't know if you know where Keon Coleman is from. Uh, I do, but just to spell it out for people, he's from Louisiana. He, he's from Louisiana. He's yeah, an in-state guy. He jumped, yeah. he jumped over LSU to go to Michigan State, and then when he wanted to tramp, transfer, he was like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to go to LSU now either. Or they didn't. They, either time. They didn't offer me. So he was a huge – he was a three-star basketball and three-star football recruit from Louisiana. He wanted to play either sport at LSU, and LSU didn't offer him either time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens. Look, I, I'm not going to let you guys like needle me now. And <laughs> he could be wearing number seven. By the way, by he the could way, be I Justin Jefferson. Guys, excuse me, Will Campbell is wearing number seven. He's wearing a seven patch. Here's the thing. This happens, and it hurts more when it happens. Travis Etienne, mm-hmm. Louisiana. Man, Devonta Smith is the one that just really mm-hmm. just, just, just destroys you. It happens. There's a lot of football talent inside of the state. Um, we don't need another wide receiver. I mean, I just be honest with you. Like it was, it hurt. It hurt that it happened to us. But the wide receiver core: Brian Thomas Jr., Low League neighbors, um, Aaron Anderson, Kyron Lacy, who dropped a bunch of passes. The that room, the wide receiver room at LSU, seems to be pretty good. We could have had Keon Coleman; it would have made a difference, I'm sure. But we still wouldn't have been able to get consistent pressure on the quarterback. We still wouldn't have been able to really run the ball effectively, and we still wouldn't have been able to to defend anybody. So like that. it always sure. hurts when the, it always hurts when the LSU guy does it to you. But if I look at the needs of the team, the wide receiver room is not the one place where I'm looking at us needing another That's body. Fair. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I don't want to end on a sad note. So did you see Urban Meyer spitting game at the commercial break? Did you see that? Love it. Love it. <laughs> Riz God. I love him. I love him. Riz God, Riz King, more, even more so than Baby Grunk. Like, it, 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 I, I, I love him because he is who he is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like the throw stones, hide your hands guy. I oh, like the his hands. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. He can't hide them. They're too big. <laughs> Urban Meyer can't hide his hands. He can't they're too anymore. big. And they're, and they're always trying to grab them. Yep. <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? Remember when he like had a serious health ailment oh, at Florida yeah. and he couldn't coach anymore? And then he took the job. And was, he just, he's the... He's the guy. Yeah. Would hire him in a second. Yeah, with him. I like it. If it was, I would hire him in a second. And watch him do the same thing. Well, hire him in a second. I don't care. With him out there doing that, it does make it really hard for anybody to be critical of Deion Sanders. Like, you're right. Urban Meyer, right. lots of teams would, would hire Urban Meyers in a, 
in a second. But if you out here talking bad about Dion and you caping for Urban, oh my gosh. It's I just want to say, just real, real quick, these guys aren't saints. Yeah. Like, they're... They sell it. Ag aggressive capitalists yeah. that go out and try to win football games to get bread. Bobby Petrino, Urban Meyer. I, I won't even get into some of the more yeah. disgusting guys, the Art Browses, other words. These guys are not Lane Kiffin. Mm -hmm. These Hugh Freeze. These guys aren't Boy Scouts. If you're holding prime to a standard of some upstanding Gandhi, Martin Luther King figure, <laughs> that's racist. <laughs> that's racist to make him be better than this is a damn. A, this is a an occupation full of rogues, <laughs> scallywags. So <laughs> go out there and do your thing, man. Uh, lastly, um. Speaking of those scallywags, yes. king of the scallywags, uh, Dabo Swinney. I don't Love know it. what it is about him that makes him like so kind of annoying. Maybe it's the it's, running. It's, it's the running on it's the field. It's that he runs out on the field in front of all his players like he going to make a tackle. But there was something cathartic, I think, for most people outside of South Carolina and a lot of people in South Carolina watching them get their kicked by the nerds at Duke. It was fun. It was it was it was also therapeutic because yeah. you know obviously we were the laughing stock and now Clemson gets to be. Um so appreciate that Tiger to Tiger, Death Valley to Death Valley. That was awesome. That was a solid. We love that. He's just an immensely unlikable guy. And I, I'm not quite sure when it happened. I remember when um who was the coach that they had in there before? Was it Tuberville? No, I can't remember who it was. No, who I can't remember who Alton? the coach no. that they now, I can't remember who the coach they had in there before. I, definitely, I don't think it was. Charlie will get it. But they, Tommy, they Bowden. Were, Tommy Bowden. Tommy Bowden. Not Tommy Bowden. I missed up Bowden and, and Tuberville. So they were, they were, um, Tuberville was obviously at Auburn. I know my SEC sports, whatever, guys. I had a brain fart. Look, when I remember when he was getting run out of Clemson, they were talking about who they were going to hire. And I remember hearing the whole team go, there's a guy here we love. And his name is Dabo Sweeney. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, that's got to be a made up name. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like the water boy or something like this. We love a coach here called Dabo Sweeney. And the whole team and everybody rallied behind him. And then it was awesome to watch him go from that, get the job, have success, turn them into a national power, competing with Alabama, beating Alabama. And then one day, Dabo Sweeney just became Darth Vader. And it, it's not something I that I jumped on the back. I know what it was for me. I know when it happened. What was it, what was it for you? It Tell was, me. It was when um, he was coming out staunchly opposed to players getting paid mm -hmm. while also raking in tons of money. Like, the hypocrisy in that really gets under my skin from any coach. And that's one thing I appreciate uh, about Saban is at some point, I don't know when, he was like, nah, I get it. The players should get paid. Like, let's not play this game. But, yeah. That boy, Dabo Sweeney, is that's the that's where he jumped the shark for me, and I really was like, ugh. It's like all of this stuff you don't know, and it's like we all decided, as a college football community, and as a family, that we hated him. You will so like on your podcast, you guys do much more uh, like less sports and much more serious stuff. Get ready uh -huh. to cover Senator Dabo Sweeney. Get yep. ready for it. If he get his. Kicked a couple more times. That man, he is following the Tuberville model. That man is going to be a senator, and you're going to be talking bad about him holding up the, the uh, armed services. I guarantee it. Only thing is, 
he might be hating it, hurting his likability a little bit. <laughs> like Tommy Tupperville kind of got out of there. Yeah, that's fair. Relatively unscathed. I know he took a job after Auburn, but relatively unscathed. Dabo Sweeney is changing public perception of him. Go ahead. Well, so there is one more sports angle that I do think is interesting. And that's just like, we haven't really seen coaches like Dabo reach those heights and just lose it. And it's kind of, I know we're all enjoying watching him die on the sword because he's talked about NIL and the exact quote, I'm going to read it for you is, as far as paying players, professionalizing college athletics, that's where you lose me. I'll go do something else because there's enough entitlement in this world as it is. And he won't do the transfer portal. He's only taken three transfers on his team. So I think the question is, is he done as an elite coach because he will, will not sort of go with the times? And he, and he can't find another quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson was in Trevor Lawrence. That It's not a coincidence that he had two top-level quarterbacks, and that is the success that he's had. But do you think that he's going to be able to survive in this modern uh, college football since he seems staunchly opposed to NIL and transfers? Not if he doesn't play the game. Yeah, the game's changed. And when you think, and when you think about those, the, that quarterback question, that's actually a really interesting question, uh, being that you know, DJU looked pretty good yeah. in his in his first start mm-hmm. of Oregon State. Um, Clubney can't seem to find it, and there've been a couple of other guys that they've had there that haven't really worked out. You wonder if he, his 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 ability to develop quarterbacks or or recognize talent was built from the long haul anyway. But if he doesn't play the transfer portal game and he doesn't play the NIL game, uh, Clemson will be the Clemson of of that that I remember um, pretty soon. You just you have to do it. Yeah, I miss like, there's that no way not to do it. Yeah. I miss that Clemson, too. Yeah, that was the fun to, Clemson. The Clemson. beat that every year at Maryland, which <laughs> I, I don't know if we can do that now. Although Maryland's on the rise. Shout out Coach Locks doing his thing out there. All right, I appreciate you, Van. Thank you so much for making the time for us. Um, hopefully we can have you on uh, in happier times when your Tigers are back up. Oh, look, we uh, look, don't say this right now. I'm going to say this publicly for everybody. All right, bandwagon's clear. We were overrated. Okay. The work, the work, the work begins now. I hope we schedule the Citadel first game <laughs> next year. Like, the, the work begins now. Oh, don't. I, I can't wait to have you back so that you can do the Deion Sanders. And did you, do you believe now? You believe now. That's what I'm going to do. You, you don't believe. You don't believe. You don't, you, you, you don't believe. Do you believe? I'm telling you, work begins now. These guys, they're, they're going to be, they, we're going to see what it's made of now. Work begins now. Everything's still on the table. Yeah. Don't give up. Go Tigers. I love it. I love Family. it. I'm hyped up. I ain't going to hit nobody. I'm too old for that. But I'll root for you guys to come back. <laughs> Appreciate you, brother. Peace, man. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.